I would tell you to turn to see the voice. The voice of the Lamb of God who is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's what I tell you to do is turn to see the voice. Because that voice of Christ is speaking in your heart, in your mind. It's speaking in the depths of your being if you're His. And if you're not His, it's saying, Come unto me and drink. Come and drink of the water of life. Come and, and purchase of me gold tried in the fire. We that are His have so much of Him to know. Salvation is knowing the Lord. That's what it is. Uh, we, we, try, we, we try to understand salvation in things, events, future happenings. But salvation is knowing Him. Jesus, in fact, Jesus said, This is life eternal in John 17, that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. In fact, the only way you can know the only true God is through Jesus Christ. He is who reveals the only true God. In fact, He is the only true God. So, so to know God is to know Christ. And this is the most dynamic inward relationship. I, uh, I wish... You know, I, I say this from time to time, but I'm thankful for where I'm walking at with the Lord right now. But I wish when I was a young man, I had just completely turned my heart in the beginning to hear His voice. And to see Him. To know Him. There is absolutely nothing that will take the place of knowing Christ and hearing and seeing Him yourself. There's nothing. No teaching. No services. No meetings. Nothing you can do that will replace the personal relationship. Now, we have a relationship as the body of Christ. We are His body. We are joined together with Him, as one with Him. But we have... Our hearts have to turn to know Him, to see Him. And in Revelation chapter 1, John heard the voice that spoke with him. And in verse 12 he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one light. Unto the Son of Man. In all seven churches, as you come down and you read that these seven candlesticks are the seven churches, you understand that in the midst of all seven churches is one. And you begin to understand that what makes these candlesticks golden is He that is appearing in them. If He doesn't appear in them, they would have no life. They would have no substance. So He appears and makes them gold. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, I've been looking at this 
girt about the paps with a golden girdle. That, that, that may look insignificant in the description of Christ when you look at the rest of the description that John sees here. You may even think, well, this is insignificant. Why, why the detail about the golden girdle? Why was he not girt about the waist instead of the chest? The paps is the chest. So why was he not, you, you know, in, in today's world, we men, we wear belts around the waist. Why was Jesus girt about the paps, girt about the chest? And why was it a gold girdle? And as I begin to look at this, I begin to consider the high priest of the old covenant. And looking at the high priest of the old covenant, I, I, I went in and started looking at the, the ephod and the breastplate. And upon the ephod, it, it's in the book of, of Exodus, it'll tell you about the garments of the high priest and how they were commanded to wear specific garments. And you you have in the priesthood, in 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 the description in the book of Exodus of a ephod and a breastplate. And in the ephod, the high priest would have stones upon the shoulder of that ephod. And in the stones upon the shoulder were the names of the children of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. One way I understand it's one on each shoulder. And according to their order, according to the order of their birth, so the high priest in his daily ritual was carrying around on his shoulder, speaking of his strength, the children of Israel. So as he as he went in to perform whatever task he was required to perform, he was carrying around with him the children of Israel. They were up on his shoulders. The names of them was up on his shoulders, a stone representing each of the twelve tribes. And then on the breastplate near his heart, his place of endearment, he has what? He has again twelve stones of the children of Israel. So so that breastplate is upon his heart. Now now the high priest wore specific garments, which you can go read of in Exodus twenty eight through the book of uh Exodus, uh Leviticus, I'm sure it's Numbers and Deuteronomy. But when you get into those books, I, I was reading one brother and he said he all something to the fact that he always thought they were boring books and and then one day he realized the order of those books and how specific everything was, how perfect everything was. And what he he was saying he realized was that these this order was speaking of the perfection of Christ. That Everything there had to be in great detail. And I, I, was, I was thinking on that myself of, of how the children of Israel, when they received the word from Moses, especially if you were a priest and you were going to offer unto the Lord, you were going to have the office of the priest, you had to pay particular attention to detail. Your whole life become consumed 
with what you were doing. Your whole life revolved around the Word of God that came from Mount Sinai and went into Israel. And, and specifically, if you were a priest, you had to know how to offer the offerings. You had to know the time of day, the time of evening, the time the candles had to be lit. Everything was extremely precise. It was in type and shadow perfect because it was speaking of your great high priest. That's why it had to be perfect, because it was speaking of Him. It was speaking of Christ. And here in the candlesticks is not the priesthood of Aaron. John doesn't turn to see a voice and see the the Levi. He sees Christ, one from the tribe of Judah. He sees Christ Himself in the church clothed with a garment down to the foot, and around the paps, around his chest, a golden girdle, a golden sash. And this gold, why why did it have to be gold? I mean, I ask questions like this to the Lord. I, I ponder them into my heart. Why in the world does it have to be gold? Why couldn't it just be a sash? Why couldn't it just be a girdle, something around his chest? Because it was speaking of his deity. That, that, that the heartbeat of Christ was forever God. I'll just say it that way. His, the reality of Him was, was, was deity. So, so upon his, you know, around His chest, He was girded around with the reality of the divine nature of God. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And we that are Christians have to get a hold of this. Jesus was not some ordinary man. Sometimes we want to think He was just an ordinary man that just did this great work. No, He was Philippians 2. And and I I want to state something before I, I quote Philippians 2. So I want to state something to you. In the search of the high priest, in my mind anyway, when he would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, in my mind, he's wearing all this priestly, all these priestly garments. You, you go back in, like I said, Exodus 28, and you go through it, and he goes, it goes into great detail about the high priest's garment. But then all at once you, you flip over to the Day of Atonement, In Leviticus 16, and in Leviticus 16 it says, But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on holy the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. So when he went in on the Day of Atonement, he was not wearing the standard garments of the high priest. He put on the linen garments. So he took off all of those beautiful robes, all of the the robes with the fine with, with the fine uh, twine linen that were made of, of, of blue and purple. I think the robe was blue. The, uh, 
uh, ephod was made of blue and purple and red and white with strands of gold through it. So when he went in here on the Day of Atonement, he didn't have these on. And I looked at that, and, I, and, and it just come up in my heart, the, the speaking of Christ, that He being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal of God, but made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of the servant, made in the likeness of man to die the death of the cross. He lowered Himself. He took off the garment of God. He being in the form of God, made Himself a man to die the death of the cross. Glory to God. And I was looking at this picture of the high priest and all the garments he wore, and here he's going in on the Day of Atonement, and he takes them off, and he puts on the linen garment, the white linen garment, speaking of a lamb without spot. Glory to God. Having no spot, having no wrinkle, having no offense before the Lord. And he enters into the most holy place, in type and shadow as the Lamb of God. That's what was going on here in the Day of Atonement. That's why the high priest had to wear the white garment, because he was speaking of the Lamb of God. He was declaring, every time the high priest went in here on the Day of Atonement, he was declaring our great high priest, who is Christ the Lord. But that high priest carried blood with him. He carried the blood of an animal that could never purify the conscience from sins. He could never satisfy our hearts or fulfill the Word of God. It could only be used as a type and a shadow. It never fulfilled what God was after. But here the writer of Hebrews writes, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. So, so in Hebrews chapter 10, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Sacrifice and offerings for sin thou wouldest not. So all these sacrifices and offerings for sin was not what God required. It was not what God was after. They were a testimony of what God was after. They were there for the time that was at hand. But Christ being come a high priest of the new day, offered Himself unto God, having no spot or wrinkle. He had no offense. He had no sin. He never committed sin. He was never dead in sin. Never. He died to sin, but he was not dead in sin. And it's a big deal to understand that. Because if he had been succumbed, overcome, with the sin of Adam, there would have been no victory. Consider that for a moment. The victory of the Lord is He came into humanity. He took upon Him the robe of flesh, made in the likeness of man, became a, in a man, but never become dead in sin. 
to bring man to the death of the cross. That's what He did. He brought mankind to the death of the cross. Not man again dead in sin, but man dead to sin. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And understanding that is only by the Spirit of God. So, so I've got several Scriptures I, I want to give you, and I'll have to, looking at the time, trying to be mindful of time, I, I probably will have to com- work on this again next week. But in 2 Corinthians 5, start at verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us according to the translation you're looking at. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he was di- he died for our sake. He died and raised for our sake. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old man, the old feast, the old offerings, it's passed away. And behold, the new has come. Everything made new in Christ. Just like he says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. It's made new in Him. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Glory to God. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. There is your sash or girdle of gold. He that knew no sin was made to be sin. Upholding His garment, upholding that white garment was one that knew no sin. He being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made equal of God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking upon Him the form of a servant to die the death of the cross, to pay the penalty of sin, to, to exhaust It's cost. Glory to God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. 
It just keeps coming back to my mind. I quoted it before. Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Hebrews 10. says, Wherefore, verse 5, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body has there prepared me. Here's what the sacrifices and offerings pointed to. If anyone tells you God ever needs another turtle dove, or He needs another blood sacrifice from an animal, I'm telling you, you need to think twice before you consider that thought. Because God said, He said, Wherefore, when He cometh in the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering, Thou wouldest not, but a body hast Thou prepared me. All the law, and, and if you... Flip back to verse 1 of this chapter. It says, For the law was a shadow of good things to come. Honey, you're not in the shadow of the good things to come anymore. The good things that were coming was the body and blood of Jesus Christ that the law was a shadow of. Glory to God. I had, I have, you know, people that think the atonement hasn't happened yet. And I'm like, our great priests atoned our sins, or yet we are still guilty. His blood atoned my sins for good. Glory to God. By one sacrifice, He completed the work of God. He sat down in all power and authority. Glory to God. Satisfied with what He had done. Amen. So, down into verse 6, "...and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou had no pleasure." Wow. It says God had no pleasure. They went on for years and years and years. Till the time appointed of the Father. These sacrifices continued till the time. But when their time was come... They had no more value except to point you to the one they're speaking of. Now, I want to be careful here because I read of these sacrifices and offerings often. I go back and study them, but I study them because they are speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to understand what they're saying in regards to Him. So I spend a lot of time studying these sacrifices and offerings of the Old Covenant. But I'm looking at them in view of Christ to understand the fullness of His offering. Not looking at them to, to ever say that man needs that offering again because that offering could never free your conscience from sin. Now, that's a big, powerful statement, freeing your conscience from sin. You know, the Bible says He did that. Well, let me read this on and we'll, we'll flip to that. So, the, so then He goes on, verse 7, Then said, I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God, above when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither have pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Had no pleasure in them. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away the type and the shadow. 
We don't come to God in a type and a shadow. We come to God through the one true offering made for all humanity that whosoever can come in and come through that one offering and access the very presence of God. That's what Hebrews tells you. He brought us right to the Father. He brought us right to the living God. And the living God was in Himself. Well, that Just leave that there. He brought us to the living God Himself. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And flip back into chapter 9. In chapter 9. It says, start at verse 7. It says, but into the second with the high priest alone once every year. So the high priest enters into that holy of holies one time every year. With blood, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. And this is what I was talking about. Aaron put on this white linen garment, disrobed himself from those other priestly garments, puts on this white linen garment to offer the offering one time a year for himself and for the heirs of the people. See, Jesus didn't need to offer it for himself because he knew no sin. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. And I believe that's true in our hearts. That, that you know, when the writer writes this, the first tabernacle, the first temple was still standing, the old covenant temple. I know there had been multiple renditions of it. It had been rebuilt, but it's standing there in Jerusalem. And the way into the holiest is not yet made manifest. And see, in a lot of hearts, as long as they go back and look at that old temple as the temple that God wanted, the way into the holiest is not yet made manifest or real in their heart which was a figure for the time then present. He tells you what it was. It was a figure, a type, a shadow, a figure, symbol, symbol, symbolic, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could never make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to, to the conscience. Couldn't make him that did the service perfect, much less the people. So the high priest that came in there with the blood, he could never be made perfect, neither could the people... And it, which it stood only in meats and drinks and diver washing and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So it's imposed until the time of reformation. Now, now read verse 11. Here's your time of reformation. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. What building? The building he just talked about up above. The building that stood as in types and shadow, as a type and shadow. The building that, that while it was standing could never, the, the way into the holiest of all could never be made manifest. But Christ comes a high priest of another building. Not the type and the shadow anymore. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, the most holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. He eternally redeemed me. 
He eternally redeemed you. His blood was enough. It satisfied God. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <laughs> purge your conscience. Cleanse your conscience from dead works. Well, what were the dead works? The works under that old covenant. They were dead works. They could never bring you into that which was in the Holy of Holies. They could never bring you into that, that divine relationship that you have in Christ. They could never do it. Those works were dead works. Your works were dead works. Your works in the old man were dead works. It, he purged your conscience from your dead works and from the works of the law. Is your conscience pure? The only way my conscience can become pure is knowing Him. Now, He's already done it. He's already purified my conscience. But am I aware of what He's done? That's the big question we have to answer in our heart. Are we aware? Are we standing uprightly with the Lord? Are we believing we've been made righteous in Christ? Or are we, much of the time, and in my early Christian walk, I, I'm, I lived where I'm, what I'm going to talk about. In my early Christian walk with the Lord, I lived in forever condemnation. Am I dressing right? Am I acting right? Am I looking right? Is my hair too long? I lived in a world of condemnation, of trying to be made perfect by my flesh. I really did. Not only did I live there, I tried to get other people... To agree with what I said. Now the good part of that is I didn't stay there too long. God brought me out of it. And I began to see that the only perfection there will ever be is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I heard what the Apostle Paul said, You are made complete, perfect in Him. He's your perfection. Trying to be perfect anywhere else just won't work. You will not find perfection but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him you're already perfect. It's Him being revealed in you as you know Him as the great high priest. You will understand He has perfected you forever through His own divine work. Glory to God. And your heart will then begin to desire to know the perfection of the Lord. Not the perfection of yourself. Notice what I said. The perfection of the Lord. See, the old doctrine I used to teach was the perfection of Wayne. And it had a big problem with it. <laughs> you're, if you're watching me on Facebook, you're seeing the big problem. The big problem was me. 
I tried to be perfect in myself. I tried to find perfection in myself. And I know as I, as I speak to you this morning, there are a lot of Christians trying to get perfect in themselves. He perfected you by His work. What's your perfection? Christ in you. What you were incomplete of, what your heart, your soul was lacking, was Him. He's your completion. And if you've received Him, you're no longer lacking what your soul was lacking. What you're lacking now is the awareness of Him. The awareness of who's in you. That's what you're lacking. And the fullness of what you've received. When you received the Lord, you just didn't get a little bit of Jesus. You got Him in His fullness. Of His fullness we have received, John writes, in grace for grace, of His completion, of His fullness, of the glorious work He did through the death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we've received. I, I missed something the last time I taught on this, and, and I'm not even getting to where I really wanted to go this morning, but just stay with me for five or ten more moments and I'll be done. I'm trying to do these in 30 minutes, and if you come to our local fellowship... I'm usually an hour preacher. Somewhere between 50 and 65, 70 minutes is usually what I do. In Hebrews 8, we read a couple of weeks ago now, of the things we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary. See, here's the sanctuary. And the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched in, not man, not that old building. As I read this, I want, to, I want you to think on something. When the Holy Ghost come on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in the book of Acts, did He go back to that old building? That old building was still there. Herod's temple was still sitting there, the temple that the Jews we're calling the house of God. The Holy Spirit didn't go back to that temple. He didn't, he didn't go back and enter in behind that veil. He entered into a group of people in the upper room. There's the new house of God that's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ Himself, the stone laid in Zion, the Lord Himself. There's the true temple of God. You are the true temple of God. God doesn't need another building in the Middle East, honey. He doesn't need to go back there. He told the woman of Samaria that neither shall they worship the Father in Samaria nor in Jerusalem. A lot of, dear, a lot of God's dear people want to go back and want to build another temple in the Middle East. And I, and I go, why? He has laid a foundation. He has laid a stone who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And He's built you as living stones upon Him to fill you with His glorious life. Anyway, I get carried away here. Every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifice for his necessity that this man have somewhat to offer. For if we were on earth, he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Back to this thought, this is the sum. And in chapter 7 of the sum of him, it says he's able to save 
you to the uttermost. Verse 25 of chapter 7. That's what we did a couple weeks ago. We flipped out of 8 back to 7. And I left this off in chapter 7. It says, Wherefore He is able to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by Him, seeing that He liveth forever to make intercession for them. The uttermost. That word uttermost means full-ended. That is, entirely. He's able to save you entirely. One last scripture. Colossians chapter 2 is what I believe I want. Just give me a second. Colossians Yep, chapter 2, verse 9 actually. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. (laughs) Which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. Well, you say, I don't feel complete. You know why you don't feel complete? Because you're looking to be complete in yourself, by yourself, by your own works. That's what religion taught you to do. Taught me to do that too, and I tried it for quite some time. And I found it futile. And it will still tell you to do that. But I come to Him that completed me, and He's my completion. And I come to know Him. I get up and get in the Word to know Him. I get up in the Word to see Him, to hear Him, to be filled with His glory, to be filled with His greatness. That's what I do. I get in the Word and and look in the Word to see Jesus. I read the Bible a lot. And I go to that book and I look to see Him that the Bible says comes from the volume of the book, it is written of me. Everywhere I go, I'm looking for Him. I'm looking to understand how does this fit into Christ. That's what I look to see. And then, to see Him appear in me. To make my soul righteous. To make me actually feel inside like I'm righteous, holy, forgiven, and just. He does that. When you know Him. He really does. And you realize, I could never attain this in myself. But He makes you feel righteous, holy, and just. Because He's sharing with you His divine nature. He's sharing with you that golden girdle. He's sharing with you the nature of God that is righteous, holy, and just. That's what He's doing. Glory to God. Well, we will have to look at this at least one more time. And before we move from just this part of the description in the book of Revelation, before we move on, I was planning to do uh, a few of these as uh, kind of quick was my plans. It seems like the Lord will just disrupt my plans. Because I said, well, I've already done this. And the Lord just is just expanding what 
I've seen in a greater reality of Him. Well, anyway, blessings to you all. Hope you have a glorious day in Christ. Father, we just thank you for your word and we ask you, Lord, we ask you to make it real in our hearts that you have destroyed him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, that we not live in the bondages of fear. God, that upon the earth as this pandemic's upon the earth, let us be the ministers of Christ. Let us minister to life to people right in the midst of chaos and confusion. Let us be a people that stand up and minister your life, your glorious, holy life that's in us. And tell people to come and drink. Tell them, yes, there, there is more than a hope. There is Christ Jesus the Lord. Anyway, Father, we just thank you for your glorious word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.